Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Uh, every once in a while, I get um, an email questioning, well, has there ever been any bad deals? Has anything ever gone wrong? And um, quite honestly... I've had challenges. I've had deals that have become very challenging, and I've brought a bunch of those up uh, on the radio over the last 30 years because, there's, you know, whenever there's a challenge, there's a learning experience in it. Um, but I've never really lost any money in real estate except for the first condo I bought for myself to live in, which I just got destroyed. I had knew nothing about real estate. I worked in the health club business. Uh, they were selling condos saying that they were going to go up in value, they'd go up, you know, that the area that I was buying in was going to be the new great part of town and that they would, they would double, triple, quadruple. And they showed me, you know, numbers in other parts of town. Really all I wanted was I wanted to get out of an apartment complex because of my, uh, my T-tops and my mag wheels were getting stolen off of my uh, car all the time. So I wanted a place I thought would be safer. wasn't. Condos are complete piece of garbage. And there are places I know where condos are the only thing you can afford to buy, right? But a condo isn't really a piece of real estate. Let's start with that. A condo is a situation where a group of people own a building and or group of buildings. And within that group of buildings, you own the airspace inside of a unit. So in other words, it's almost like an apartment complex that you own the interior of the apartment complex. You have no control over what they do. So all the expenses are controlled by a board of directors. The board of directors um, can go wrong in one of two ways. One, they can overspend everything and make your expenses keep going up and up and up and up and up. I've been in those kinds of uh, condo associations uh, where the guys are really prudy, and they want to make sure everything's done in the most expensive way possible. Uh, I've also been in associations where they were, you know, they were like uh, cheapskate slum bags. And they didn't want to pay any dues themselves. So what they did was they vote everything into having no dues, fixing nothing, and letting the place deteriorate around you. Neither one of those two situations are where you want to be when you're an investment in real estate, whether it's the home you live in or the, you know, an investment type of deal. So I've told people for 32 years, stay away from condos. And I've had hundreds of people, if not thousands, come to me and say, thank you for that. Or, boy, you were right. I got my behind kicked in that condo deal over and over and over again. Now, where do condos pay off? Well, it looks like if you go buy a condo down on South Beach, Miami South Beach, um, there's no more land. There's no more place to build. They can only go up. And that's really the only place you can get that type of piece of real estate. Same thing in Manhattan. And any place where there's no place to build and they've got to build up and land is gone, then condos have a place. Uh, it's really the only way you could live in that area. If that is a scarcity situation, 
then you're in a situation where uh, they make sense. Now, take Texas. Texas has nothing but land, and we can grow in any direction. So why grow up when you can grow out and you can just keep moving stuff further and further and further away? Say, well, what about if you want to live right downtown? Well, you might want to live right downtown. I might not want to live right downtown. Uh, you may want to have a place to park your car. I may not care to have a place to park my car. In other words, it becomes uh, an issue of who wants to be there or not and whether the supply and demand curve fills the place up. doesn't always do that, by the way. Um, I've seen inner city places have problems because the inner city, just like, for instance, COVID, when everybody stopped going to the inner city to work, those condos became useless. Uh, values went plummeting on those types of things. So there's a problem. Now, the next type of property I'm going to talk to you about is something called a fourplex. And a fourplex is where you have four units built together. And by the way, I should go through this just for your own edification. There's single-family houses where you own a house and you own the lot. Then there are something called patio homes where you own a house and a lot, but the lot is only half the size of a normal lot, and the house has one part of the house sitting on the lot line. So your neighbor's yard is right up against your house on one side. Now, a townhouse is where you, and by the way, that's called a zero lot line. Your house is on the zero lot line. Now, uh, a townhouse is where you have two zero lot lines. And you literally could have buildings each touching each other, one right after the other. So um, that's a townhouse. Now, a condo is where you don't own the land. You say you own the land. You don't own the land. The condo association owns the land. You don't own the building. The condo association owns the building. And they control what happens on everything except the inside of your unit. However, some of them even have some control on the inside of your unit as to who you can rent it to and can't rent it to and so on and so forth, what you can do with it. Now we get to something called a duplex and a fourplex or a triplex, and that's where you have one lot with two houses usually hooked together on one building, and that's called a duplex. Um, you own the lot, and there's actually probably two sides to the lot, maybe even two lots, with one side of the house on one lot and one side of the house on the other lot, akin to a patio home, except the two of them are connected together, one building, okay? Uh, but you own the lot. Then there is a triplex, which is the same thing, but three buildings. Now, in a triplex, the problem is there's no three lots. There's just one lot and three building, three units. And then you get to a fourplex, and there's four units, four houses, connected together in one building, and one lot. All of these are considered in the real estate world one to four single family housing. All of those are legally dealt with the same way as far as financing goes, as far as buying goes, the laws go, and so on and so forth. They're like houses. All those are considered houses. Once you get up to five units and more, then you're considered an apartment complex. You're multifamily, and now you fall into commercial real estate rules and regulations. So, having said that, I'm going to get to this story about this deal that I did. Uh, this deal is what I thought when I was putting together probably the greatest creation of real estate investment 
genius that I've ever seen in my life. That's what I thought about myself at the time when I was putting it together. It turned out to be a complete disaster by the time I got out of it. Luckily, I didn't lose any of my partner's money in the deal. We got our money back out of the deal. But we made no profit. Now, when you make a promise to people you make a profit you, and you own a business, you, you can look at it from one of two ways. You can say, okay, unless I give them the profit I promised them, I failed. Or you can look at it, we own a business, and maybe we're profitable, maybe we're not, and that's the way most of the world works. If you go out there and you buy into the stock market, no one guarantees you the business is going to do well. It may or may not do well. And you have the choice to take the risk if you want to. Well, when you're investing with your friends and, and people you know closely, that becomes a very serious problem when it doesn't do well because you've they've bought into your personality, into your credibility to get involved in your deal. And in this particular case, that was quite a bruising to my ego because up until this point, I'd hit nothing but home runs. Every deal I did was out of the park, incredible. And I got what we call the Midas touch. The Midas touch is where everything you touch turns to gold. And then you realize that you're touching your food and it turns to gold and you're touching your lovers and it turns to gold and you're touching everything. Your car turns to gold and it won't drive and et cetera, et cetera. The point is it's a fallacy. The fallacy is if you think that everything you touch turns to gold, you're crazy. It's only a matter of time before you find out that you're going to fail. And we wrap that all up today in today's show and this story. And the story has massive number of learning points along the way that we're going to cover. So warning, this show will have sexual references and some violent content. Today I'm covering a deal that went wrong and I'm doing it so that we can, number one, point out that not every deal works out great. Uh, number two, teach the learning curve situation that I went through and what I did learn from it all. Now, by the way, if you join Lifestyles Unlimited, you'd never run into this deal. And do it unless you are one of the people, and it happens, won't listen to me. And when you don't listen to me, you then are going to run into making the same mistakes I made when I first started out or other people I've known that I've helped to make. And the idea by joining Lifestyles is so you don't make these mistakes, so that you come to us with a deal and go, nah, let me tell you a story about that one. Um, so today I'm telling you that story about that one, and this is about a deal. What it was was a... It was you know, 44 units. It was supposed to make me $17,660 a month. Was supposed to make $400 a month positive cash flow on each one times 12 months, which was $211,000 a year of profit. So what happened? Why didn't, why didn't it make me any money in the deal? Well, let's go back here. and The history of the deal was it's, it was a bad part of town. And some guy went in there who was a real estate broker and slumlord investor and bought everybody out of their condo association, everybody except one. There was one guy they couldn't get to go away. And so uh, they they dissolved the, the homeowners association, basically. Now, they legally couldn't because there was still one guy there, so they had to give him condo association rights, even though they dissolve the association, the laws are in Texas that if you dissolve an association and someone isn't willing to vote into that, you know, they still have minority rights in the group. 
So this guy was like a pain in the behind every once in a while. He wanted his building taken care of better than everybody else's. Um, but then this guy who was a slum ward came up with this genius idea. He filled this place up with Section 8 housing people. Why? Well, because this bad part of town, these giant units, they were three-bedroom, two-bath units that were, gosh, I think they were like fourteen to 1,600 square feet, something like that. They were huge. And even though they were really great units, they wouldn't rent for more than $400 a month because the bad part of town they're in. Now, by the way, this is 30 years ago, all right? Um, but he could go to Section 8 housing because they were a certain size, had a certain number of bedrooms, and could allow a certain number of family members to live there, live there get Section 8 housing to give him a guaranteed rent of $615 per door. Now, the way Section 8 housing worked at the time and I don't know how it works now because I will not do it, have not done it since this thing. And everybody I've ever talked to, I've told them not to do it. And if you're listening to me and you have half a brain, you won't get involved in Section 8 housing, okay? You'll see why in a second. So if the rent is 615 each tenant that you take in, you have to go in. And here's where the hassle starts. You have to go in and apply to get the unit put on housing. So to do that, they come out and do an inspection. Well, the last tenant was there was completely a purple Martian, destroyed the place. That's who is on Section 8 housing, purple Martians. And the purple Martian destroyed the place. And so now you got to fix it back up. And now you're putting all this money in to fix it back up. And they come out and they go, oh, my God, look, there's a broken electrical plug. And then they turn you down. So you've been waiting for a week or two to get this inspector out there. Then they turn you down. Now you got to wait a week or two more. Finally, after a month or so, you might get this thing approved. Now you have to let the tenant move in with no security deposit. We never let anybody move in without a security deposit. The types of tenants that we were moving in, we would have charged a triple security deposit anywhere else. And they were moving in without a security deposit. And because the government has guaranteed they would pay for all the repairs that they damages that they created, not repairs, but damages that they created. Right. And so they'd move in, but you still hadn't got a paycheck. Now you had to apply for the, the, the rental income, sign the lease. And 30 to 45 days later, you'd get your first payment. Now, think about this. You've been messing around with this for 30, 60 days to get a payment, what it basically comes down to. Whereas on a rent house, I get the money, I get two or three months security deposit up front on a bad tenant plus the first month's rent before they even walk in the door. You don't give them the keys till they give you that much money. So you've got money in the coffers already to fight against whatever problems you run into. For a good tenant, you're getting at least one month's deposit and one month's rent. So you're... You know, you're winning. Here, you're losing. You're behind the eight ball. You're behind the eight ball with no security deposit and two months worth of free rent or two months worth of down unit before you ever get started. Okay, so that's the beginning of the problem with Section 8 housing. The second problem is that the tenants are purple Martians and they destroy everything. I mean, literally destroy everything. And the way that 
they are charged to live there is they have to go in and qualify to get on Section 8 housing. And when they qualify to get on Section 8 housing, what happens is they see how much money they're they're earning by either uh, Social Security or uh, the one where you're injured. They get free money for being injured, free money for being, you know, pregnant and have kids. There's all these programs out there where these people get all this free money. And then they apply that towards the rent and say, okay, well, you need to pay $12 a month on your rent of $615, or you need to pay $112 when they have to pay $112 compared to their friend paying $12. And they destroy things. What do I mean? They literally rip the doorknobs off, punch holes in the wall, steal the cabinetry, pull the doors off the cabinetry. I've seen them pull all the electrical wiring out of these units you know, strip the inside of the household because they can sell the copper uh, for money. They'll pull down all the appliance or all the ceiling fans and stuff and sell the, you know, those. Um, they'll pull the appliances out and sell those. I mean, it's just these people are insane. You say, well, no, that's an over exaggeration. No, it's not. I put up with 44 of these tenants. And they were insane. Other things they did, they shot each other. Other things they did, they sold drugs. I mean, I never realized there was this part of the world out there until I owned this place. And then all of a sudden, I was enlightened to a part of the world that most of you will never, ever see. In fact, I hope you never see. I hope it goes untouched, that you never run into it in your life. But it's out there. And whatever the reason it's there, I won't even get political on this. Whatever the reason those people are there and live that way, uh, they're there. It's real. They're purple marshes. Why do I say purple marshes? Because they're not from Earth. There's no way these people are from Earth. They are not from Earth. Nobody acts this way unless you were grown up with no morals, no laws, or any all responsibility, personal responsibility. We'll take a short break, come back, and tell the rest of the story. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Not because that's the way it's set up, but because of the knowledge. When put into action, knowledge is power. At Lifestyles Unlimited, we empower you to live the lifestyle of your dreams through passive real estate income, For over 30 years, our successful members share their knowledge through case studies, classes, and mentoring. Tap into the knowledge. Attend a free workshop online. Register now at LifestylesUnlimitedWorkshop.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about the the deals gone wrong. It's really a Section 8 housing story. And now I'm going to expand it from being a Section 8 housing story uh, into a understanding of slumlords and different types of people you do business with. So let's finish up with the uh, Section 8 housing thing. The other things I ran into in the Section 8 housing problem was that 
The people in the neighborhood, since they were all section housing people, believed that this was their neighborhood, this was their hood, this was their gang place, this was their whatever. And uh, they used to come up to me and get my face and, you know, say, hey, why don't you fix this? And why don't, I'm not going to go into all the, the, the rigmarole about it. But the bottom line was they complained about fixing stuff that they had broke themselves. And if I fix it, they'd break it again. And it, it's only a period of time for you to realize that you just you can't fix everything for these people because they'll just keep breaking it. They're just they're like morons. And um, they live like heathens. So um, you got that problem. Then you got the problem that they, they, they carry guns. I remember for a while it was so bad out there, me going around trying to collect my $12 or my $112 from them, their little share of it, that uh, people were coming up to me and threatening me and stuff. So I started carrying a gun, and then finally I got a bulletproof vest. And um, so I was walking around with a bulletproof vest under my shirt, under my jacket, and a gun. And uh, collecting rent. And guys would come up to me and go, I know you got a gun, but I, and he'd pull up his shirt and show me his gun and his waistband and go, yeah, that's cool. You got a gun too. Great. Um, by the way, do you have your rent? <laughs> you know, just what do you say to these guys? You know, you're going to shoot me right now over, you know, $12 if that's really what you're going to do or $112. And then I guess it's really, it's my end. It's my time to die just because I deserve to die for buying a place with Section 8 housing. I shouldn't have done it. I did it. What's sad is, is that I put a bunch of partners into it. And the way I did it was, is that I had bought like 20 of these units from some guy that wanted to get out. He's like, man, here, take these. I don't want it. Then there was a couple other people that each owned like 10, and I bought those out. And I kept convincing my partners, well, we'd be able to do a better job of managing it if we had control of the whole thing. One thing about bad stories, and you think about the Democrats right now, is every time they have something go wrong, they tell you another bad story. And another lie about what's going to happen if they just keep doing the wrong things they're doing. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And if you think that doing the same thing is going to get you a different result, that is the definition of insanity. That's where the Democrats are at right now. And what they're doing in their quote unquote <laughs> inflation reduction act and also in the this the situation of um, I was talking to my partners, you know, more control. More control. Give me more control. Let me have more of these. If I have all of them, then the other owners can't be letting their people do all this stuff. So I was out there, and I finally talked to you know these people into buying all of these units, and I put it, each one of them we bought that group under an LLC because they're all bought owner financed. No bank would finance these things. So whoever was selling them had to sell them owner financed. And so we would buy that owner financed, and we'd own it inside of an LLC. But because we wanted everybody to get the fair share of where I put my, my time, my energy, my leasing efforts, and not think that I was sending all the best tenants over to one side or the other. I put everybody in a master ownership company where their purchase of their share in the other company dictated a value of the whole company, and that was how we ran the companies on this master company. And uh, that, that worked out well, by the way. There was no problem with that. Just a lot of effort to go through for 40 units. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know anything, and I didn't have any money, so I had to work in a syndicational-type form, I guess is what you would call it, although it wasn't a true syndication. It was just really kind of some small partnerships I put together. Um, however, that part wasn't the real problem. The real problem was um, the tenants and the damage they did. So after a year of operating this thing. The Section 8 housing rent was $615 a month. Uh, my expenses, 
uh, my mortgage payment was like $200 a month, so I was supposed to make like $415 a month. You f- figure in some operating expenses, which on single-family houses is very little because you, you put the house in condition, you leave the tenant there for a year, and there's nothing to do. They, you know, If they break something, they owe for it. But in section housing, it doesn't work that way. They break something. You got to go back to the government. The government goes and asks them who broke it. They go, I didn't break it. <laughs> they go, well, then it's your fault, Mr. Landlord. It just broke. And, you know, countless times I went through this routine with them. I said, okay, let me just do this for you. Let me just stare at this door. All right, break door. Come on, door, break. Sir, please, please help me. Stare harder with me. A door can't break itself, sir. These purple Martians tore the door off the wall, punched holes in the wall, the door. That doesn't, that's not maintenance. That's not normal wear and tear. You follow me? They didn't want to hear it. I mean, they're government workers, and the government workers were like one half step higher in quality as a human being than the purple Martians. So... It was an impossible situation to deal with. You had, uh, what did they say, the the fox guarding the hen house, right? Or the insane running the insane asylum. That's probably a closer representation of what was really going on there. And, And so after a year of owning this thing, we had made no money. No money at all. So we tried as we could. We knew we couldn't get regular people to live in there. And if we did, we'd have to drop our rent $200 a month uh, just to be back to street rents on that street because of how bad the neighborhood was. So I tried managing by control. In other words, I started enforcing the rules stronger, harder. In fact, from the beginning, I tried to enforce the rules, but it just it just didn't work. And so I started trying to be more um, picky over I would take as a Section 8 tenant. I said, look, there's got to be somebody that's getting housing that's not a complete moron, right? It's not a purple Martian, not a, just a disaster to this universe. And so I would try to screen these people. And I would find really nice, like, old ladies that had, you know, were put on housing because they couldn't work and they were, they were old and they needed a place to live. And I go, okay, now, now, I'm, now I'm doing the right thing. I'm helping people. Didn't do me any good. Within no time at all, every old lady I put in there had their kids living with them. Some gangbangers, always the gangbanger kids that can't find any place to live, that are moving in. Uh, your lease says they can't live there, yet they live there. They get because they don't really officially live there. They just come stay there. So they come in, they flop on the couch, they sleep there at night, they go out and sell drugs, you know, and they come during the day and sleep during the day, and they, they're out all night on the street. I mean, you just, it's impossible. You can't be over there at night chasing these people off. I mean, just think about it. They work at night, standing on the street corner, doing prostitution and drugs. And I saw things that just blew my mind. I saw a lady sell her daughter to a 40-year-old man so that he could marry her young daughter so that he could get a green card and, and become legal. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe some of this stuff, right? I saw two guys playing dice. I mean, these were like 16, 17, 18-year-old kids playing dice. And one guy said, you cheated me, and he put his hand out to get the money, and the guy picked up a gun and shot him. <laughs> Luckily, the guy didn't die. I saw another lady that was like 21 years old that was married to a 40-year-old guy. 
And the 40-year-old guy actually, I think, probably had a, another wife because he'd only come over on Friday nights. And she was saying, hey, I don't want you around anymore. Just stay away. And he'd come in and break the door down. The bottom line is that one day he came through that door and she shot him, shot him dead. And uh, there you go. I mean, it's just the way life is in these kinds of worlds. So I'm sitting here, finally woke up and go, you know what, Dell? There is such a thing in life that you cannot fix. And this was one of them. And so I started thinking about selling this thing. But then I realized I was in the same boat they were in. You can't get a bank to finance this mess. There's no way. They want nothing to do with this. They're smarter than you are. And then it became obvious to me. This broker slash investor was smarter than me. Not as like, let's go take a test smarter, but he had more insight. He had more street smarts. He knew things I didn't know, and that's why he was able to pull the wool over my head and sell me this property. When I went to sell it, it became the greater fool theory. Is there somebody out there dumber than I am that's willing to buy this? I was the greater fool. And I'm telling you, young guys, when you think you're going to go out there and make an incredible deal and you're stealing something for a very low price and great financing, it's because someone sees you coming. You're the greater fool. You're the one that's getting taken advantage here in this situation. And they're kicking your booty in the situation. Today, we're finishing up with a conversation about a deal that went wrong. It was about 44 units, 11 fourplexes that I purchased all together in a totally Section 8 housing development. Owned the place for two years, had $400 a month positive cash flow uh, set up on this deal per unit. Should have made $17,000 a month positive cash flow, should have made two hundred grand a year positive cash flow, and made zero. At the end of two years, we had made zero money, and so... I went back to my partners. I said, you know, we got to get out of this thing. This is one I just totally misunderstood. I mean, I just, I underestimated how really terrible this type of housing program would be. And so we got to get out. And what I realized at that point was is that there is a world of people. There are the people and purple Martian tenants, and there are real estate brokers and real estate investors. And by the way, I was in the bucket of real estate investors at this moment, and they elect to be in that bucket, and they all act the same. They are all the same. They all believe the same thing, and they believe there's money to be made at the bottom of the bucket. When you get ready to sell, who wants to inherit this kind of a situation? Now, one of the things that happens is in this world is a lot of people, older investors, used to look for younger whippersnapper investors and owner finance these things to them and let them go out there and beat their butt into the ground for a year or two, paying them mortgage payments, and then go broke. And then the guy would foreclose, take it all back, and find another idiot and sell it to them again. This used to be a very popular form of doing real estate for a long-term retirement plan. You buy yourself some real estate, you owner finance it to a bunch of idiots, you let them run it into the ground, you take it back. Or you owner finance it to uh, a borrower that wants to buy it to live in it, and they've got bad credit, they don't know how to take care of their bills, they can't keep a job, and they end up not paying for it, you take it back. And then you get a down payment on all these things, you're getting down payments, then you're getting payments, and then they stop paying and you get it back. 
And four, five, eight, 10, 12 years down the line, the stuff has doubled and tripled in value just because of inflation. And so this was the type of situation that I was in. And I had to sell it to get out of it. Now, to be honest with you, to this day, I don't remember who I sold it to, but I do remember how I sold it. I sold it by letting them pay back the amount of money necessary to get my partners out of the deal and take over the owner finance notes. They were able to assume the owner finance notes. And I don't remember if they actually assumed them directly to the owner or if we just sold them the shares of the stock uh, to get out and let them take over the whole company, in which case the, the notes would still be in place. I don't remember which one it was. It's been 30-some years since this happened. and But one way or another, I got out of there. And when I got out of there, I gave the guy my bulletproof vest. <laughs> I didn't give him my gun, but I gave him my bulletproof vest. I said, man, you're going to need this. Here, go ahead and take it. I have no more use for it. In fact, I actually think it, at the time it was probably illegal to have one. I'm not sure. Um, nowadays, body armor is not illegal, so I don't know if it was back then or not. But the bottom line was I learned a great, great lesson. Uh, since then, I've realized that when you want to buy a certain kind of real estate, you have to get in the click of that kind of real estate. So whether it's single-family housing, well, it's got to be rental single-family housing. You look for rental single-family brokers. Uh, if you're going to look for buying yourself a personal expensive residence, you look for high-end personal residence brokers. Um, if you're going to buy apartments, you look for apartments. And if basically that has separations too. You're looking for a small apartment complex. You got to find those guys that specialize in small apartment complexes. If you're going to be in the big world, you get with the big boys, the big brokerage firms. They all handle all that stuff. If you're going to do commercial real estate, you got to go find a commercial real estate broker. But interestingly enough, even within commercial real estate, there's guys that specialize in strip shopping centers. There's guys that specialize in, in buildings. You know, like office buildings, there's guys that um, triple net lease space, uh, you know, whatever it is, there's a specialist on it. And once you find that specialist, they'll get you all the deals you want because most of the deals go through that that group of people. And I say it's one or a few people. The deals all go through them. So it doesn't matter that, you know, 800 real estate agents or brokers, whatever you're trying to buy is controlled by a small group of brokers within any one city you're trying to buy in. So I learned that lesson, and I learned not to go after the types of properties that were going to be problematic. So at that point, I took my first step out of the doldrums. I got up and said, I'll never buy another slum property. I'll never buy another Section 8 property. I'll never use Section 8 housing get in any of my properties, et cetera, et cetera. And I went to firm Class C housing. Now, Later on, I went to the point where I got to where I didn't like Class C anymore. I go, you know what? I want to step out of this Class C. And I went to Class B. Did that for a year or two. Said, you know what? Let's go on up to Class A. we got enough money now. Let's play with the big boys. And now I'm in the Class A housing type world. Don't want to go back down again. My wife doesn't want to go collect rent. Doesn't want to go do the stuff in those parts of town. Right? And Or deal with that. Or the headaches that come with that kind of a property. So... That's what goes on. I mean, you you got to see that every one of these situations is a learning curve that you can learn a lot from. But luckily for me, we didn't lose any money on this one. You quite honestly could have lost all your investment on this deal if you couldn't have got out of it. And that would have been sad. The point I'm making to you right now is you don't have to learn all this. 
you can come to Lifestyles Unlimited. We've already learned this and a thousand other things not to do. And just by knowing what not to do, it puts you in a very good position to probably do the right thing on your first investment. So let's think about getting in here as soon as you can so that you don't go out there and take on one of these catastrophes as your first investment. Because why? Because if you don't have a lot of money and you're naive, a broker slash investor guy like this is going to get his hands on you and he's going to kill you. Hope you have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.